I'd like to now introduce our speaker for tonight, the actually the person who started this meeting, Roy. I will reach for food. 
which was my earliest childhood drug. I became an alcoholic. But my first drug, well, my first drug was probably fantasy when I think back on it. But by the time I was seven, I was a fat kid. I'm a compulsive reader. If I got the hole in the soul, I reached for food and to fill that hole. And nothing fills a God-shaped hole but God. So, uh, but uh, I didn't want to hear about God for a long time. So I ate, and I come from uh, a family of compulsive overeaters. My brother's been up to 300. He's one of us. He's in his low phase now. He's controlling it, but I've seen this before. My father was diabetic. The doctor told him he became diabetic as uh, in later age, and he, the doctor said, look, you just control your carbs, eat you know, low-carb, reasonable diet, and you won't have to shoot insulin. You take these oral-based oral oral pills, you know, it'll be like taking a, a daily vitamin. It's no big deal. My mother used to make, find half-eaten boxes of chocolates under his bed, you know. He wound up shooting insulin because he could. He was compulsive reading. My mother was always on diets. That's my family disease. I was the only alcoholic, which really freaked him out, actually, but... What can I tell you? I was always adventurous, you know. So I started, I was fat by the age of seven. Um, the first diet was about when I was 16. You know, I got into compulsive exercising for the first time, too. That was a, that's a big part of my story. I mean, I hustled to get my ass over here tonight on the bike, but I don't think, it's really just an hour or so of bike riding a few cal days. But, I mean, I remember... I started, uh, when I started at compulsive exercise, I remember running up and down the stairs in my parents' uh, had a split level apartment. It was just nuts, indoors, you know. And uh, when I was down in Miami, after this, I lost a lot of weight in the Stillman diet, I really got into it big when I was in college, you know. And I, bit, I was up to 12 miles a day in Miami heat, 90 degree heat, 90 degree humidity, you know, running in, it wasn't even a scenic run or anything, it was this, it was this practice football field at the University of Miami. It was just a big square. And I mean, nobody was running back then, you know, and like it was before Jim Fix's book. And I mean, it was me and this crazy gym teacher who was, uh, and this one other guy, I think there were three runners in all of Florida back then. <laughs> and, and nobody was doing it at, at midday. I mean, high noon, 90 degrees. And it was all just, this time it'll be different. See, the illusion is, this time it'll be different. Either I'll hit a certain magic number on the scale, I will be fixed, I won't want to eat again, or I will find a magic food plan, or I will be able to run it off, maybe I can eat everything I want and still keep it all through running or whatever. I mean, the problem with these diets, see they work on one level, physical, I mean, but our, we learned in the program and the big book tells us that our disease is spiritual first, the hole in the soul, so we feel restless, irritable, and discontent until we start eating, then we can numb down a little bit. Then it's, you know, emotional, because we're not going to grow emotionally if every time we have a, a feeling, you know, <laughs> haagen you know, that shuts us down. I stopped growing emotionally probably at age seven, really. I'm not, you know, that sounds weird, but, you know, I just didn't want to feel. And um, then, of course, physically it starts, we get that sugar addiction or whatever our thing is. You know, some of us are bulimics and anorexics. And, you know, that's the physical level. And the thing is, the food plan, or what they used to call diets, we don't even use that term in a way, treats us on a physical level. So I lost 80 pounds with speed and running up and down the duplex apartment stairs like a lunatic. 
I lost 80 pounds on the Stillman diet, eating nothing but hamburgers and water, you know, and running 12 miles a day in Miami. Gained it all back. Gained it all back. I went up north, right? So I go from running in Miami, you know, 90 degree heat, to now I'm back north. I gained the weight back. So I start again with the pregnant hormone shots, you know. And this evil grinning osteopath had two clinics going, Pennsylvania and Jersey at the same time, you know, and he's lining up all these fat people and giving them this, this placebo shot. He takes their blood pressure, he weighs them, he grins, he takes the money. And why shouldn't he grin? They're lined up, you know. He had two clinics going full blast in two states, you know. And it was me and, you know, thousands of fat people, mostly women, but there's a few guys. And so, you know, I'm taking this placebo. They put you on a 500 calorie That's some ridiculous, stringent, worse than gray sheet. It's hard to imagine. Some <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, if I go from running in 90 degree heat to where I'm running, joining a gym up in Jersey, and I'm running behind a snow plow in winter with a ski mask on, and the snowflakes are coming down, and guys are coming out on the to the porch, uh, you know, to get their paper in a fur coat, you know, and he looks at me and goes, hey, Rocky, hey, <laughs> he thought I was on the Olympic team or something. Anyway, uh, let me see, what was the last, oh, liquid protein, oh, that was, look at that stuff, it's awful, you know, I get, I lost 30 pounds in 30 days, that, the diets will work, you know, on the physical level, and I remember, I'll talk about my bottom and then talk a little bit about recovery, I remember being in Florida. Now, you see, it's when you're an alcoholic, too. See, I, I was a compulsive overeater since the age of seven. I didn't pick up alcohol to the ripe old age of uh, 12, I think it was. <laughs> but, and I was in trouble with that shit pretty quick, too. But the problem with being an alky is that you go on these crazy diets and you're thirsty. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought uh, light beer would be the answer. <laughs> I was soon up to like, you know, 12 cans, 16 ounce cans of Miller Lite, you know, that's a lot of calories, you know, that blows the whole diet, and then you, I once tried to be a vegetarian, live on vodka and mashed potatoes, that didn't work, but, uh, anyway, I remember being on this liquid protein where I didn't have solid food for 30 days, I lost 30 pounds in 30 days, of course, I had no blood sugar, I was Parallel. I could have. I was supposed to take a tennis lesson. I remember that, and I like couldn't lift the racket. <laughs> I'm sitting on the bed going, I can't go to this tennis lesson. I can hardly move, you know. So I canceled the lesson. It was a Friday night in Miami, and I thought I was going to be able to hold out till Monday, because uh, you know how I'm thinking the magic. Uh, Monday, I'll get on the scale. I'll be at the magic weight. This time it'll be different. I won't want to eat, or I'll eat without gaining weight somehow. I don't know how that was. You know, insanity. And I just couldn't hold out. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. I don't think hungry quite describes it when you haven't had solid food for a month, you know. You know. And I remember literally getting up. I said, I can't hold out till Monday. i got to have something to eat and drink, you know. So I remember getting up and like literally holding on to the wall. I was so dizzy, you know, no blood sugar, you know. I'm like, whoa, you know. I got into my car. And I remember Dayland was this shopping kind of, it was really just around the corner from my apartment. So I go into Dayland, you know, and I, I got two whole pizzas and a, and a, two, and a, and a, I think a case of wine, you know. And that's how I broke my fast. <laughs> and I did, the only thing I want to say about that is I wound up in jail that night. It's the only thing I want to say. And, you know, this is not good. But it led to... 
you know, through a concatenation of events, a series of events, which led to a, an alcohol bottom, which is, I'm only mentioning because when you get into these 12-step programs, you, you hear about the other ones. That's what always happens. They say if you're not at least two, you're in denial. And it's usually, it's usually true, you know, so I'm, I'm newly sober, and these geniuses in the AA are saying, well, if you feel like taking a drink, kid, just uh, have a candy bar. Or have a like, wow, these guys are really brilliant. You know? So the first month I'm sober, I gained 30 pounds in a month, you know, because I'm a comp- but that was my first disease. I'm a compulsive reader. You don't tell me to eat, eat candy bars. Are you nuts? But they didn't understand. I mean, I'm, I'm just... They were doing the best they could, but they didn't understand that I got another disease, and you know, I need another program, see, because they don't know what's going on. They're sitting there eating donuts, drinking coffee, and I'm, I'm like crazy, you know. So I hear about this OA, and I'll never forget my bottom was actually up in Vermont, or it was the moment of truth that I got, got me to OA. I literally was on my knees. I'm not kidding you. You know, when, when the shit hits the fan, I don't use fancy words like higher power. I'm like, God... I need this OA thing. You've got to get me to this OA thing when I get back to Florida. I was in Vermont. And um, I was just out of control. I could not stop eating. You know, the, the, the childhood diseases roared right in. You know, I didn't have much of an A program either. So, therefore, there's a great entry point for the old uh, childhood disease, and I'm out of control. And I got to OA in Miami, and... Uh, I'm, yeah, I know, but I'm, I always get stuck in the food log, you know, whatever you call it. But I want to talk about the recovery a little bit. And I come in OA in Miami, and there's these condo commandos from North Miami Beach. They're all like, well, I was going to say they're all old, but now they're my, my age. So, so, but they were a lot older than I was then, you know. And, uh, and I'm this young guy. I don't think there was a man at my first meeting. It was mostly it was either all women, or maybe there was one other guy. I don't even remember him, though. It might have been all women, too. And this woman, uh, I'm listening to this shit, and uh, just looking at these women, you know, and feeling crazy. And I am crazy. I'm out of control of the food. And this woman comes up to me after me and says, where did you know the serenity prayer? And I said, well, I'm in AA eight months, but I can't stop eating. And, I, and she says, I'll be your sponsor. Her name was Edie. So she carried the mess, I guess. So, all right, Edie, what do I do, you know? Well, you got to stick to this food plan. It's called gray sheet, you know. So she gives me this gray sheet. And then they have these assignments. You have to write, look up compulsive and controlled in the dictionary. I mean, you know, I'm not used to this. We didn't do that much writing in AA. It was all about, yeah, the war stories. And all this shit, you know? So, you know, I'm doing these assignments. I'm trying to stay on this gray sheet. I mean, this gray sheet is sparse. I mean, this gray sheet is it's like, you know, four ounces of protein and lettuce and hardly any oil. You know, I hate dry salad. She wouldn't let me put milk in my coffee. That's what really drew, drove me nuts. I hate black coffee. To this day, I hate black coffee. Well, can't I put milk in my No. And I had to call in. I had to call in uh, before I made any... I, Called in my food, you know. I mean, food, it's gray sheet. I mean, it was like, as if there was some creativity. But then if I had to, like, if I wanted to make a change, I had to call in. So if I wanted to, like, change a pear for an apple, I'm supposed to call her first. I call Edie. Well, Edie, I want to eat a pear. Too much sugar in a pear. Eat the apple. She never would let me eat a pear, you know. I mean, flexibility is just a little bit too advanced a spiritual kind. Uh, Edie back in 1978, let me tell you. So, um, anyway, I'm on this abstinence, you know, and I'm on my way to France, 
ostensibly to study French, actually fleeing from my problems, but I, I can only say that on the cue and looking back on it. But uh, Edie says, all right, well, pack brown bag and abstinent lunch for the plane. Now, hey, I'm, I'm too cool to be brown. I'm from AA, you know. I, you know, what are you women doing with my big book, you know? And uh, anyway, she's trying to get me to use the tools, but I was too cool to brown bag. So I get on this plane, and I'd ask for diabetic meals, and they, oh, no problem, this one, diabetic meal, you know, and the check-in counter, diabetic meal, no problem, this one. So we get in the air. Now it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I ate, I ate breakfast at 6, ate the little sparse, gray sheet, you know, black coffee hateful breakfast, you know. and now it's like, I'm starving, I hate gray sheet, I've been hanging out for two weeks, and it comes time for the diabetic meals, and the food service forgot to pack the diabetic meals, so they just put the regular food in front of me, I mean, it wasn't anything even that drastic, you know, bread maybe, and rice, or, you know, some carbs, a few, but I hadn't seen them in two weeks, you know, and I took the first impulsive bite on the plane on the way to Paris, and I landed on my feet, what did I say, you land, I land on my feet, I land on my feet, <laughs> I was out of control, you know, I took the first impulsive bite on the plane over there, and I landed in Paris, and eating, and I, and I gained 30 pounds my first month in Paris, you know, and that's the kind of compulsive overeater I am, as if the disease had been doing push-ups, I can't imagine what happens if I blow my abstinence now, I might, I might never get back here. Seriously, it's that it's progressive, you know, it gets worse, the obsession gets worse. And um, I'm eating bread and cheese. I'm not even eating that creatively. I go all the way to France and start eating French mounds bars. You know, go all the way to Paris to eat mounds bars. You know? And, uh, you, know, I'm saying, you know, I'm gaining the weight, you know, and the clothes are getting tight. And I say, oh, my God, because I know what's coming. Because every time I gain the weight, it would come back faster, and I gain a little more, and then it's more horrible to take it off and more painful. And then the disease comes back, so I know like 300 pounds is coming this time because, you know, my previous high was 280. I know it's around the corner. I'm out of here. Plus, I know the OA exists. Plus, I've actually seen people who are abstinent, you know, and been to meetings. So, I mean, it was horrible. And the little Paris... I'll try to hit my bottom and get into some recovery talk here. But my little, the little Paris OA group at the time was the most pitiful, <laughs> screwed up. You know, the anorexics were starving, the believers were puking, and the compulsive readers were gorging. And nobody was absent. And all, I'm sitting there eight months over, spouting about the 12 and 12 and the big one. You know, I can't eating. Bob R. is 11 years sober. He's throwing up 11 times a day. He's bulimic, you know, the anorexic. Her parents were psychiatrists. They couldn't believe with all their medical training they'd spawn this anorexic. She's starving to death, you know. Our French pioneer, uh, Natalie, who started the thing, she was a doctor who got the program in Atlanta when she did her residency in the States and brought it back in English to Paris. And the French would come in and they couldn't get the English. And we'd say, well, sorry, there's no French OA. And I felt like we were sending them out to die. That's what I really felt bad for. Some of them were bulimics had thrown up, you know, and... They just couldn't get it, you know. Their high school English was not enough to get it. So, so this group is nobody's in it, you know. And I'm not. And I'm, you know. And I, actually, I was down in Aix, uh, Aix-en-Provence, in a language school, and I used to take the Midnight Express up to Paris to go to meetings. 
because they, uh, they, we started, I started, helped start a French uh, AA group down there. I'm actually one of the co-founders of the Aix-en-Provence uh, AA group with this nut, Jean-Pierre, who was, man, he was, he, I was eight months sober, totally insane, out of control of food, and this guy was like a year, totally nuts, you know, and the other French are talking about him in French, they didn't, they didn't know how good my French are, oh, Jean-Pierre, il est insupportable, he's hard, you know, he's just intolerable, he's ragging him to start this say, and we actually started a goddamn anger, so meanwhile, I'm out of control of the food, I'm in, I'm in the, the um, what the uh, train station in, Ma- in uh, Marseille, ready to take the midnight. And I'm looking at like this, my sixth Mounds bar of the day, you know, and I'm like sugar up to here. And I'm saying like, you know, when I get out in Paris tomorrow, I just gotta be absent. I just got to be absent. But I still ate that six Mounds bar, you know. That's the way compulsive reader is. So, but I, I got on that pl- uh, train. We, I got off in Paris in the morning, and I just said, you know, I just got to get through breakfast, abstinent. And I go to the brasserie, and I, I give me some soft-boiled eggs, take the bread away, because I was a bit food, you know. No cheese, no bread, just no French fries, just eggs, apple, put milk in the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> He's not there breathing down my neck, you know. <laughs> So I ate an absent breakfast, and it was okay. I had an apple for dessert, you know, and, um, you know, trudging. The, the point I'm trying to make is I was totally in the now. I was not thinking of losing X number of pounds or being absent for X number of years or, you know, participating in OA, you know. I was just thinking, I just got to get through the moment abstinent. And I got through breakfast absent and go to lunch, same thing, you know, meat, salad, no no fries, take the bread off the table, I can't deal with it, give me coffee, milk in the coffee, <laughs> an apple or pear or whatever they had, you know, got through lunch, got through dinner, same thing, you know, just basic, but a little bigger than Gracie, you know, meat was a little bigger and the salad was a little bigger and the milk in the coffee, and I was okay with it, and I was abstinent, and I was happy with it. And I got to the meeting, it was uh, Monday night at St. George's, no, St. Michael's English Church on the right bank, I'll never forget it, right near the uh, President's Palace there. And um, I wanted to be the star of the meeting when they read how it works. Or anybody got something to say, my hand shoots up. I want to be the star. I'm abstinent today. And then uh, Natalie looks at me and goes, I'm abstinent today. And then Bob looks the whole group gets the same day in Paris, a group miracle, and the greatest spiritual event in France since Lourdes. As far as and from that little group was the seed of French OA is now there. It's probably stronger than the English OA because the English OA tends to be pretty transient. But French OA is spread out from that group, you know. So. That's it. I couldn't be the star. Everybody gets abstinent. It was a group miracle, and that's how my recovery started. When I got back to the States, I got a new food sponsor. I got on the Dignity of Choice. I had the youth plan by this time. You know, I was a little more generous. If I allowed myself six ounces of protein, because I was still a young guy. I was still running about four to six miles a day. It wasn't crazy like the old days, but I was still pretty active. I can't run anymore because of my uh, back, so I, I bike, but... I ran for years. A, a, a reasonable exercise has been a part of my recovery for years. I'm talking about nothing crazy. You know, like I got, you know, where I was running three miles a day, 
and working out a couple times a week at the gym. So now I ride the bike for an hour and do a few calisthenics. Nothing crazy, but, you know, it started from there. And uh, I've been blessed with this abstinence. The question presents itself, to my mind, and at least as I observe our fellowship, why is it that I'm able to hold on to this thing for 28 years? Because I've seen a lot of horror shows in this program. I've seen shit that would, would, I mean, people, you know, hurting their esophagus with spoons, being bulimics, and people with their stomachs staple eating right through that, and people getting their jaws wired, eat, overeating malted through straws. I mean, shit that was, is just grotesque. That's our disease, you know. And basically, the obsession has been relieved and has stayed relieved for all these 24 hours. And what I want to suggest to you is that I am not special. That you too can have this thing, as the book says. You know, all you have to do is, as the book says, follow a few simple rules. But a price has to be paid, and the price is self-centeredness. And as far as I'm concerned, you take what you want, use it the leave the rest. I mean, I don't uh, tell anybody else how to work their program. I keep it real simple. I say, who's got what I want? And how do you do it? And there are still a few people around this program who have what I want. I got a f- my food sponsor, Zan's wonderful, my formal f- former food sponsor, Natalie, and my old food sponsor tragically died uh, very young, Tamara S. When I, I was up in Northern Cal, she was one of the great ladies of OA. I mean, I'll tell you how cool Tamara was. I was still pretty feisty in those days. When I got her as a food sponsor, I hit on her, you know, and she, like, brushed me aside in a very, you know, graceful way, and she still food sponsored me. I mean, she was so cool. I mean, she just, you know, like, water off a duck's back. I don't, Roy, you just sit over there and you do what I tell you. And she was the best food sponsor I ever had. She got me a brown bag and all sorts of crazy stuff. She was really cool. There, and uh, Doris, who died not too long ago, was one. These people have had what I wanted, and they all have one thing in common. They, their basic program is uh, based on a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I have yet to see anything anybody's come up with since then to improve upon this. That's the method I use. It worked for me, and I swear to God, my first AA sponsor almost killed me. If you think I'm exaggerating, he had two sponsors who did commit suicide. He was not book-oriented. See, I don't work the ED program or the RTG program or the John K program or the Leslie program. And especially, I don't work the Roy L program. I don't know what Roy L's promises are. are. (laughs) Maybe when you get, you know, 20 years on the program and get suicidally depressed, you'll get a discount on Prozac. (laughs) I don't know what Frank the Atheist's promises are, you know, but I know what the promises are in the big book. And it says, when presented with the opportunity to compulsively overeat, I will recoil as if from a hot flame. I will lose interest in this. I will not be cocky, nor will I be afraid. The problem is removed. I don't want to be sitting in these rooms, and it's been, you know, 28 years or, you know, however long, saying, oh, my, you know, my mother's coming to town, I'm going to eat. I mean, you don't, you don't believe the shit I've been through in recovery. I mean, resentment my first sponsor, you know. Uh, obsessions on women, I'm good with those. Uh, resentments. 
financial ruin. I mean, you know, when I was three years on the program, I decided to become a foot doctor. I, I don't want to go through all that. I mean, insane shit that I've done. Intercontinental. I went to Paris. I lived there for four years and back. Moved across the country a couple times. Came here ten years ago. Didn't know a soul in Los Angeles. I mean, uh, lost a small fortune. I'm terrible with money. Wound up, you know, 14 years on the program in Debtors Anonymous going, I don't have a clue. What is going on here? You know, I don't understand money, you know. And I didn't. And uh, you couldn't believe the shit I've been through, even in recovery. And yet, when presented with the opportunity to compulsively overeat, I recoil as if from a hot flame. And the reason is I'm not working Roy Ellis' program. I'm working... The program is outlined in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, adapted for our program, simply changing alcohol to food and alcoholism to compulsive overeating. And it says a price has to be paid, and that price is self-centeredness. So what happens, and I, oh, good, I get to talk about the steps a little bit. I didn't get too dragged up in the drunk-a-log, or not the drunk-a-log, the food-a-log. What happens is this. I need a higher power because I'll wake up on any given day restless, irritable, and discontented. And, you know, about 12 pancakes sounds real good to me when I wake up restless, irritable, and discontented with a lot of maple syrup and butter, shit that I haven't had in 28 years. But on any given day, I can wake up restless, irritable, and discontented. And what I need is some sort of power to center me and say, it's just going to be okay. No matter what's coming down, God's in his heavens all right with the world. So I need a higher power. Now, you don't have to call it the G word. You can use the force or you can use group of diet fail failures or whatever you want to do. Use the group, you know, an unsuspected inner resource. You know, I don't, the difference between a 12-step program and a religion is we're not here to tell you what God is. We just tell you we got a way to remove things which block us and will let you pick your own higher power. You don't even have to call him God. I, I haven't called him God. And the early guys called him God. But many of our members are still atheists and agnostics and they're doing fine. Because what's really important is to get rid of what's blocking me from a higher power. It's not so important that somebody tells me what my higher power should be. That's up to you all to figure out for yourself. And you can certainly use the group. You can use whatever magic you found in these rooms. You know, that was my original. My original third step went something like this. My father had just died. I was about a year on the program. Newly abstinent, you know, maybe back in Florida for a few months. Relieved of the obsession. But hardly would I consider, you know in super recovery shape. I was a newcomer. My father dies. My first third step was something like this. And I was on my knees. I like praying on my knees because it just makes me feel like, you know, just humble before the universe. That's all. And I, I don't, I've never been attracted to organized religion. Never, never will be as far as I'm concerned. I got on my knees because I felt okay with it. I said, God, I don't know if there's anybody on the other end of this call. <laughs> I said, you know, I don't know if you exist or not, but I think this program is my best chance for happiness, and I'm thinking I'm going to go through with this thing. Okay? That's all it was. It was a decision that something was here and I wanted it. Now, if you look in Fred's story in the big book, between approximately pages 37 and 42, the guy 
didn't like God and spirituality and religion. You know, he said these concepts were things which uh, you know, I had a lot of problems with. But somehow, when I made a decision to go through the process, and he uses that word, the process, I somehow intuitively felt my drink problem had been removed. So if you just make this decision and you want what we got here, and you don't even have to be sure what it is. It's God is, I didn't understand him then, and I'm not really sure I don't understand him now, though I've been taking care of all these 24 hours. I don't want to pretend I'm some intellectual atheist or agnostic. I mean, I've been taken care of, so whatever it is, I'm grateful for it. But I couldn't define it for you now. 28 years on the program. But for, he said, you know, since I made up my mind to go through this process, I somehow intuitively felt I'll use our word, our, my compulsive overeating problem has been removed. And it says in the book, as soon as you make that decision, it immediately, is there something about the word immediately you don't understand? Immediately has to be followed up by the action of an inventory. You want to know when you're ready to do the steps? If you want what you have and are willing to go to anyone to get it, then you're ready to take these steps. So as soon as you make up your mind you want what we have, then you get into the steps. Now, I usually ask to my food sponsees, like, try and get 30 days of back-to-back abstinence. They might have another food sponsor. I just say, get a food plan, get 30 days back-to-back, get a commitment at a meeting that you're going to attend regularly. That's what I ask them to do. I do that the same way we, we used to hospitalize drunks, because they were foggy, they might go into DT, so we give them paralyzed, knock them out, put them in the hospital, talk to them, say, you want this thing? All right, get down on your knees and pray to God, you know. So I basically ask them to go through a 30-day detox from sugar or whatever their trip is with a food plan, get a commitment at a meeting. You ready for this thing? Okay, let's go. And uh, Mickey knows because I worked with him recently. Lately, I've been using the, the Big Book Thumper method of just sitting down with them and going through from page one. And it works. It's a very good method for a couple of reasons. I, I didn't do it myself because of very bright guy. I didn't need anybody explaining this shit to me. I can read, you know. But I found out that's not always a safe assumption. And the people don't understand what they're reading, you know. Um, and basically, all you know, we, it's very good for diagnostic purpose, you know. All right, do you think you can control your, your food? No. You think you're, you know. You just ask them questions based on the big book. Take them through. You ready? Yeah. You ready for your inventory? You just keep moving along, you know. We were in, you just get going on the inventory. And the important thing about the inventory that I learned is it's a manifestation of self. It says we consider the self in its common manifestations, period. End of sentence, new, new sentence, capital R, resentment. We're looking at manifestations of self. My sponsor used to tell me positive attracts positive, negative attracts negative, passive attracts aggressive. If I'm angry, I'm going to manifest angry people on my resentment list. Thieves will fall in amongst thieves. When I was a drunk and a compulsive overeater, all my buddies were drinking buddies or binge buddies. Now I'm in recovery. Most of my good friends are in recovery. I'm manifesting my spiritual condition constantly. I manifested my relations, my job, everything. You know, my life is a manifestation of my spiritual condition. So I do that inventory to find out where myself is manifesting things. And resentments are, are a great indicator. They're the, they're the best indicator of, a, of, of the disease self. And then immediately I go out, I, I review that list, okay, 
and I say, do you want this in your life? The book says we go home for an hour, we look at this list carefully, we review, have we done the first five proposals? I'm looking at these resentments. i got all these angry bullies in my life because I'm an angry bully. Do I want this shit in my life? The answer is no. That's it, man. Go out and make the amends. And every step confirms the previous step. When a guy says, I've done the third step, I really meant business. Okay, give him the inventory. If he shows up two weeks with his inventory done, I know he's done the third step because he's got a fourth step to show me. Then he tells me his fourth step in the fifth step. And if I feel he's done an honest job, I know he's done the fourth step because he's done the fifth step with me. Then I said, do you want this shit in your life? You know, all these sick people? All these resentments? No? Well, then you're going to go out to apologize to that guy. Well, he threatened to kill me. Well, you, you hit on his wife. <laughs> we, we don't care what he said. You've got to punch At least he might still punch me. Well, pay your hospitalization and go make the amends. <laughs> and when he makes the amends, I know he's done the sixth and seventh step. Every step confirms the previous step. And then if you've done all nine, you're ready for ten. And by this time, you've been restored to sanity, the tenth step mentions, by this time, sanity will have returned. We will react sanely normally when prevented, presented with the opportunity to compulsively overeat. So every step confirms the previous step. It's actually right there in the book, and it works. And because I've been able, been willing enough, not because I am of a high spiritual development or of a good character or particularly honest or have particular willpower, I simply was I was desperate enough to do this thing and too stupid to come up with my own program. <laughs> what the hell? You know, it's been around since 1939. I give it a shot, you know. And it worked. It worked. Got rid of my resentments against my first sponsor. It wasn't paper oriented. So, you know, the point I'm getting at is that I'm nobody special and therefore I've been given this gift of relief and anybody in this room can have this gift if you want to do this deal. You know, uh, like I said, take what you want, leave the rest. You don't want what I have, find somebody else. You like, you know, you pick your sponsor. Hi, man, how are you so sweet? Well, every day I take 500 milligrams of Prozac. It's okay with me, go for it. I mean, I'm not telling anybody else how to work your program. I just know that's what I want. And it's getting to the point where, at least as far as I always concerned, maybe not always with money, property, prestige, I have what I want. You know, I'm pretty calm these days. I'm not usually presented with much food stuff, you know. I'm basically pretty happy, you know. I don't have a lot of money property prestige. I went through a lot of bad shit over the years with money. and uh, But I'm not exactly living the life of, you know, a galley slave. You know, I just got back from the A roundup in the Philippines, you know. So, I mean, you know, i got high-class problems today. Well, it's getting close to closing times. I don't know what to say except that I've been given this gift. I like holding on to it. And part of the gift is after you work these steps, you come back here and you talk about it, which always gives me pleasure since I like being the center of attention. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm always willing to help somebody with the program, and I was able to help start this meeting. And uh, Walter and uh, John and Mickey have done tremendous service. I certainly didn't uh, do anything alone, and uh, it's a great life we have here. You're very fortunate you're in Los Angeles, the strongest OA in the world, and it's really helping people all over the world thanks to the Internet, and I was glad to, in my 
own small way, at least, to be part of that. So thank you for letting me share. Got any quick questions? Quick hand. I have a quick question. Sure. How do you deal with um, spontaneous who struggle with the food up until they work the night stuff? Good question, because uh, I've had that too. You know, it's. When it comes to the alcohol disease, it's so much easier to handle. I mean, I won't work with a guy unless he's sober, basically. You know, but with food, you know, I've had people saying, like, you know, I want to abstain, but I don't have the power to abstain. And how can I, you know, should I start him on the steps immediately? And the, I don't really have the answer. I really feel that our disease is more complex at, on the physical level. I mean, do you ever look at the AA food plan? No drinking. No drinking. <laughs> Your sponsor's really smart. He says, no drinking, no other drugs either. You know, that's their food plan. It's kind of simple. we got a little bit more complicated thing going here. Our program on a physical level is actually more difficult. you got three times a day to kid yourself, be dishonest with yourself. And it looks so innocuous. A little, I can eat a piece of cake. Come on. It's not like, you know, a needle full of heroin or something. You know. It's so innocuous. It just seems like this one, you know. Our disease is really very difficult. I don't really have an answer for it. It's a judgment call. I try and get him to get on a food plan and commit to a food sponsor and just hang in there and get him into the steps as soon as possible. But I don't think there's any rules for it. If you think that you need to encourage him to start making their amends right away, it's the only way they're going to get the power to, to abstain. It's a judgment call for a sponsor. I'm sorry I couldn't be more. I don't know the answer. That's the honest truth. I just don't know. Mimi's hand. You got time for Mimi's hand? Yeah. I have a question on uh, Yes, Mimi. Uh, the, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to repeat the question. Mimi asked about our, 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 will, will my higher power remove my shortcomings or talk? Well, look. If I do this resentment list prime, right, and I can see my part, and I use uh, the questions in the book, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or afraid? Where was I self-seeking? What did I want in this situation? What didn't I want to admit? What lies did I tell? You know, uh, how did I want to appear in this situation? That self-seeking. Where was I afraid? That's you know, I was afraid to say this and that. And I can see my part in it. Okay, and then I just take, you know, it says we have to take the bull by the horns or something in the book, a bit of their teeth or something. We have, in other words, when I can see my part in it and I'm willing to make the amends, I so hate making amends, it makes me not want to do the defect again. <laughs> I've had to go into the Mill Valley market and say, you know, I used to steal meat from your meat counter and here's a check. And, and the guy goes... I read about guys like you, you know. But, I mean, that got me to the point where I don't want to steal anymore. That's why I say uh, the 8th and ninth confirm that you really are willing to let these defects go in 6 and 7. The process, or, or God, or however you want to call it, your higher power, working this thing, the force, you know. By doing this process, you, I get less likely to do the defect. It's that simple. You know, by making the amends. You know, if I can see my part in it and I'm willing to make the amends, it makes me not want to do the thing again. It's that simple. You know, I don't know if that's a good... I mean, God, as I don't understand him, is in this process. 
and I, once I commit to this process, it works on the defects. And I still got plenty of defects that apparently I'm not willing to give up yet, but hard to believe, isn't it? Is that it?